0: Welcome to a Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on a Transforming Word.
1: Even as you read through the Gospels, when you find the legalistic people, they were always in God's way. They were always getting in. Jesus would do something amazing. It was a guy with a withered hand. His hand was deformed, and Jesus said, hey, "Stretch forth your hand." And the guy stretched, and it he was healed. It was fixed, perfect. And you know what the religious people said? The legalistic people said, it's a Sabbath day. You you can't, you worked on the Sabbath. You, you, they couldn't even appreciate the miracle because he did it on the Sabbath.
0: Legalism holds us to worldly standards and distracts us from the mystery of the Holy Spirit. Are you too legalistic to miss the works of God? In today's edition of A Transforming Word, Pastor Bill talks about how the legalistic people got in the way of God. Tradition is baked into every aspect of life and religion, but the Holy Spirit does not operate in these traditions. We need to remind ourselves that the Holy Spirit works in ways that we cannot understand. So we cannot be so legalistic that the Holy Spirit is missed. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Romans chapter 20 for today's edition of A Transforming Word.
1: We uh, study Romans chapter 14 this morning. Uh, God, as your word is living, it's powerful, and we ask that you would speak to us through your word. Lord, teach us, correct us, Lord, set us in line with you, God, as this chapter deals with uh, how we deal with one another and treating one another and prepares us for the judgment to come. God, I pray that you would help us to get the message of the chapter. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. All right, for you guys that maybe have not been with us. mean, you know, all the way through Romans, I want to kind of catch you up so you'll know where you jumped in at today. Probably the first 11 chapters of Romans was dealing with so much of what God has done for us. And so for many people, we take the Romans road we take it from those early chapters and how that we were sinners and but Christ died and through faith in him and then we could be saved. And then in chapter 11, right before he really began to be real heavy and exhorting us in terms of how we're to be living in chapter 11, he reminded us of how faithful God has been to unfaithful Israel. And we went through that chapter and we looked at how Israel or the Jews as a whole have not been faithful back to the Lord. For the most part, they've rejected Jesus, but how the God is still faithful to them. So it was an encouragement to us that in, in that chapter that the gifts of callings of God are irrevocable, that if God's been faithful to them, how faithful he's going to be to those of us that have turned our hearts towards him. And it just kind of sets the believer in a place of hope. I got a relationship with a really gracious, faithful God. And then if we turn the corner in chapter 12, and really through the end of the book. He's been telling us now how we should be living. And so in chapter 12, we were encouraged that we would, you know, not conform to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And then with the last part of chapter 12 was all about how to treat one another and that we should leave place for wrath and not take revenge on each other and forgive other people. And uh, chapter 13, again, we went through that and we looked at dealing with the, the authorities. And for those of y'all that have problems with the police, go back and listen to Romans 13. We, we broke that down for us. So. Now in chapter 14, it's a, a reoccurring theme, something that seems to be an issue and a challenge for us that God's got to keep talking about it. And it's how we treat one another. And so it, we're going to deal with judging, not in the sense of, you know, condemning someone to hell, but the way Christians judge, the way the way spiritual people judge one another. And so maybe some of you guys have come from a more of a traditional religious background Maybe some of you guys have come from some real legalistic backgrounds, and then maybe some of you guys are like me, where you just come out of carnality. You came to Christ, so I didn't grow up going to church. So I, all the little churchy things I didn't know about, I just got saved. I went straight from from the club and the party and the forty and the we. I went straight from that to church, and so it was all brand new to me. Some of you guys grew up, and you got the girls couldn't wear pants and you couldn't wear lipsticks and you know all these different things. And so we get saved. We all came from different places. And what God's word should do is put us all on one accord. But how do people that feel differently about things get to be on one accord? How do we how do we still walk together, even though I disagree with? I don't I don't feel the same way about that thing that you do. I must say right up front that the issues that they were really having issues over back then because people got saved out of Judaism. So if you were a Jew, you kept the Sabbath and you didn't eat. You know, unkosher food You didn't eat bacon and crab leg And lobster tail and all that good stuff That we like to throw down on the day You couldn't have no bacon burger So if you were a Jew and you got saved And I'm a Gentile, so I've been eating bacon burgers And I quite like them As a matter of fact, I didn't learn how to smoke a pork butt And everything else, we get saved And we come together and the Jew was looking at me like You're not supposed to be eating that And I'm looking at him like, what's wrong with you? Man, you need to eat this. You need to try this, you know. On the Sabbath day, the Saturday for them, the Jew was like, we don't do anything. And the Gentiles like, every day is holy to me. I'm about to play some ball. And so there was divide. The church was now, this group was hating on this group and vice versa. These are the issues they were divided over. So let's jump in. Chapter 14, verse 1. It says, receive one who is weak in the faith. But not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Poor guy. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has received him. And so as we jump in here, he says, look, first of all, he says, receive the one who is weak. And I got to point out the one that's weak. Is he the one eating bacon or the one not eating it? The one that's not eating it. Right. Always in scripture, the weak person is the religious one. The one that feels like there's these extra things I got to do to be right with God. That's the weaker person because it's not true. Notice that we're not dealing with sin issues here. The issues we're dealing with, you could take them or leave them and it it wouldn't matter in your walk with the Lord. Rather you worship on Saturday or Monday to God doesn't matter. Rather you eat bacon or don't eat bacon. It doesn't really matter. But to the people, it mattered. And they were having issues over it. So know that we're not dealing with sin issues because some people be like, see, but don't judge me, you know, because it, you, you smoking weed and drinking 40s. I'm going to talk about that. You know, this is not dealing with sin issues. These are dealing with some of those issues where it's like, if, if you don't mind, it's God haven't spoken against it. So let me give you some things in our culture that would kind of relate to these, because these aren't necessarily our issues. We're not really stumbled for the most part. Maybe you come out of a seven day Adventist background. For the most part, we're not struggling over, you know, which day we worship on. You know, we do the same thing Thursday night that we do Sunday morning. We good. And we're not really troubled over what we eat for the most part. So but these are things that Christians that I found in our day get troubled over that are not really that don't matter to God. God haven't made an issue of it. One of them would be dress. As you guys see, as you come here today, we're kind of a relaxed dress church. There are churches that feel like this disrespectful. You got to you should be dressed. You should give God your best. But that's something that people struggle with today. Another such issue. I think all the years that I did youth ministry, this seemed to be like I got annoyed after a while. Tattoos, tattoos. Can I get a tattoo? Is a tattoo a sin? And for you guys that were with us through our study of Leviticus, we know that there really isn't anything God haven't spoken about that. It's, it's a non-issue. It's kind of something that if you want to get a tattoo, you know, that's kind of between you and the Lord. It's, I can't. I have parents coming to me wanting me to make it a God thing. Tell them that God said right here. And I'm like, read that chapter. It says don't tattoo your body for the dead. It was part of what they did in worshiping in the occult. Don't edge up the lining. It said don't edge up your hair and don't shape up your beard. So if I can't get a tat, I can't edge. I don't edge up anyway. But, you know, if I had a hair, you know, you can't edge up and you can't shape up, you know. So if I took that in context, it would be really easy to know that that's not talking about. That's not for us today. Right. New Testament, it doesn't speak on it. But I have parents wanting me. Can you make it? Tell my tell them that God said I said, I can't tell them that because God didn't say right. God doesn't tell him he can't get a tattoo. So I would tell the kid like right now, as you're under your parents authority, God told you to honor your mom and dad. So in honoring them and obeying them, you shouldn't do it right now. But when you grow up and you're grown, I really can't make that a God thing. And that's just something as parents we got to be careful about because we can have an issue with something. I don't like tattoos. And then we could put it off on our kids as a, a God thing. But when they grow up and realize that you've been lying on God, you will hurt their faith. They'll grow up and think, what else did you lie about? What else? Was I told I couldn't do, but the Bible don't really say I can't do. And kids he stumbled over that. So as parents, we gotta, if I'm gonna tell you I don't like it, you can't do it because I don't like it, then I'm gonna put that that's on me, not on God. God don't say nothing about it, but I said no. You know, so I'm gonna go ahead and take the heat so you know that where it's coming from. But be careful as parents. Those are some of the religious things that people get jumped up in today. How we dress, can I get a tattoo? Can you do your hair like thus and so and whatnot? And And this is what ends up happening. Right. If I'm on the team that says, yeah, you can do it. I got liberty. Then I'm looking at the person that don't. And I'm saying like, man, what's wrong with you? And there's a division in the body of Christ. I kind of look down on you. And if I'm over on this team where I don't do it, this is kind of the worst place to be. When I don't do something that really down deep, I I really want to do, but I don't do it because I think it's holier. If I don't do it, I really have a hard time watching you do it. I can't stand to watch you eat them ribs right now. It is really (laughs) making me sick. And so. Then the body of Christ is divided. And one thing God wants you guys is us united. Everybody here that has a family. I got four kids. I love to see my kids loving on each other. It, it blesses me. You don't like to see your kids fighting and divided. It grieves your heart. And so we've been made in the likeness of God. It grieves his heart when he sees his kids down here fighting over little pills, stuff that he don't even care about. And we throw his name in the mud doing it. So this all that we're going to look at right now is to teach us and to help us. Not to be dividing over non essential things. There's a great quote. If you write notes, you can write this quote down. It says this In essentials, so things that are essential to your Christian faith, like if you don't believe this, you're going to hell. In essentials, there should be unity, right? We should be unified in the essentials. Jesus died on the cross for our sins, rose from the grave. Those are essentials. If you don't believe that, you're not going to heaven. We're not going to give room in that area. In essentials, unity. In non essentials, liberty. So when there's a non-essential, a tattoo or how you want to wear your hair or whatever, liberty. You got freedom to do it your way. I got freedom to do it my way. And we can love each other as we go. In non-essentials, liberty. But the third one, probably the most important. In all things, charity, which is the old King James word for love. In all things, charity, love. So in essentials, unity. and non-essentials, liberty. But in everything, love. We got to love each other. Amen? And so moving on now. So back to the little chunk here. It says... Verse three, let not him who eats despise him who does not eat and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats for God has received him. Notice when it says God has received him, we know these are both believers, right? This isn't kept them from God receiving them. So we know these aren't salvation issues. But notice the attitude difference. Let not him who eats despise, right? Because I'm eating it. I'm despising. I look down upon you because you're not partaking with me. So in my heart, I despise you. I look down upon you. But then let not him who does not eat judge. The one that doesn't eat becomes legalistic. I'm judging you because you're doing what I don't do. And so notice the difference of the people. Those that are walking in liberty can despise someone that's maybe not mature to the place where they understand they can. And someone that's doing it, someone that's over here, I'm judging you because you're doing what I can't do. And so but notice that in both cases, these are people that God has received. God has received them. Book of verse four. Who are you to judge another's servants to his own master? He stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand for God is able to make him to stand. And reminder here is like, I, I can't busy myself judging you and some non-essentials. I got my own junk to deal with. And if I can remind all of us, when we get into the word of God, primarily the word of God is to be a mirror. James says when every man looks into the natural law of liberty, it's like a man observing his face in a mirror. And he says it, and he walks away. Sees what kind of man he is, and he walks away, and quickly forgets. And the ideal is this: when I look into the Word, God is showing me how I'm doing. Everybody here, for the most part, probably looked in the mirror this morning, some longer than others, ladies. You know, and, and you, the time in the mirror is spent making sure that when I put my mirror away, I want to agree that I like what I see. And so you fixing what's not right, and you know, whatever you painting it, and fixing it, and cleaning it, and wiping eyes, and whatever you got to do. But the mirror is how you judge that, okay, now I'm good. I can go what I gotta do, whatever. The word of God is that to us. We look into the word of God and we see sometimes God is affirming us. I'm reading the word and I'm saying that's what I'm doing. God said, That's right. Good job. Keep it up. You're on the right track. It's affirming me. I walk away encouraged that I'm in the right way and I'm gonna keep going the right way. Sometimes you look into the word of God and it's a mirror and it's showing you like, wow, I do that, and I'm not supposed to do that. That's not Christ. I got to take that off before I get out the mirror. Right. It's supposed to change me. And I often tell people this. The word is a mirror, not a microscope. It's a mirror for me to deal with me, not a microscope to put you under and be dealing with you. Primarily, we come to the word to be transformed. I need to be changed. I'm still a work in progress. God is still working on me. This doesn't mean that we never speak to one another, exhort one another, challenge one another in the word. If we see somebody slipping, sinning, that we don't speak up on it. We do all those things. That's what the Bible talks about. But I'm not primarily in the book figuring out how to put you down. I don't know. I don't think it's right. that They do that. And I don't get to do that. And, you know, there's some things that I don't get to do because I'm weak that are not necessarily a sin. So I got to be careful about putting those things off on other people. Right. The time I spent out in the world weakened me. So there are weaknesses that I have that they've affected my life. There's some things that I can't really play around with that. Somebody else may be able to play around there. No problem. But for me, I can't play with that. I'll be sinning. I'll be in a bad place quick. And so for me and my weakness, there are things that I, I have to abstain completely from these things. Not a sin. I can't stick it on you because it's my issue. I can't say, well, since I can't, nobody can sin for everybody. Then, you know, it's a sin. If God calls it a sin, if it's not a sin, it's not a sin. And so we want to be careful that we're primarily and we're going to learn as we go that we're to walk in love with one another. But we do want to be cautious about ourselves. Right. God, I want to be right with God. And that's what we're going to come down to. Reminder that we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ at one point. Look at verse five. Now he goes on from the food issue. because That was one of their challenges. And now he's going to deal with the issue of when we worship. And so look at verse five. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day, observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord. He who gives God thanks, uh, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. So back up here to the day in this culture. Once again, if you were a Gentile, you got saved. It was like a man. You were just kind of like non-believer. You get saved. there's no Sabbath in your past. And you're like, man, every day is the Lord's day. I worship God every day. We had home study on Monday and we, you know, now when did the early church gather? You might know when did they primarily gather together on Sunday, on the first day of the week, ever since the resurrection that changed. And so for some of you guys, maybe you got some seven day Adventist friends that I got some people that I talk to that are they're kind of a little trapped up in that. You know, the Saturday is the day and we were looking at buildings at one point and I thought I could maybe rent from a seven day Adventist church because they ain't on Sunday, you know. But one of them I went to, they felt so strongly that they feel like Sunday worship is blasphemous, like we go to hell for worshiping on Sunday. And I'm like, word. I worshiped on Monday, on Wednesday, on Thursday. I mean, if, if I worship Saturday, too. I mean, I got extra days. But anyway, I just want to give you these verses in case maybe you have some friends that you might need to you need to know for yourself first. And so these are some things in the New Testament Sunday or the Lord's Day was the day Jesus resurrected Sunday. Right down. Luke 24, one through nine. And you can read that there on the previous after Jesus rose the previous two times. Uh, the, the next two Sundays after the Lord raised, he met with his disciples. You'll find that in John 20, verse 19 and John chapter 20, verse 26 on the Lord's day. So he resurrected on Sunday. The next Sunday he was meeting with disciples, the restoring Peter. The next Sunday he was also meeting with people, meeting with disciples. The day that the Holy Spirit was given on the day of Pentecost, when he fell upon the church and the Pentecost occurred seven Sundays after the Feast of First Fruits. So the Holy Spirit fell upon the church on a Sunday. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. The disciples gathered together to break bread on the first day of the week in Acts. Acts chapter 20, verse 7. That was when they got together. And we just see throughout the New Testament that, man, every time I see the church gathering and it tells me the day, it's on the, the Lord's Day. the First day of the week. the First day of the week. So that was when they were having their church gathering. But we know that from Acts 2, they were gathering in addition to Sunday. So they were going from house to house, having fellowship. They were at this sister's house for prayer. They were at Peter's mom's house for something else. So it wasn't just a Sunday thing. So for New Testament believers, we're kind of liberated, right? There is, is there a one day that's holier than another day? I hope y'all don't get extra holy for Sunday and then Monday show up to work and it's, the Holy Spirit done left you. You know, I, I hope that, I hope this isn't your best. I hope you don't show up here and Sunday No cussing at the kids. No, you know, no disrespecting at the Sunday. It's the Lord's day. I hope that you don't have that mindset. And then come Monday, you wake up at midnight and you acting a fool again. You know, every day is the same, right? I belong to the Lord all day, every day. Jesus is Lord all day, every day, and we can worship Him all day, every day. But back here, it was an issue. You had people coming saying, "No, you guys are not doing on Saturday. Saturday is the Lord's day. You guys are working and doing stuff on Saturday." I don't do You know, should we feel guilty if maybe you have a job that requires you to work on Sunday? Are you sinning? Are you saying no? Go to a Sunday night service. Go to church Monday somewhere. Right. We're not bound in that way. Right. We're liberated to worship when we want, how we want. So we're not bound up like that. It's not like someone my job saying I got to work on Sundays. Oh, no, brother, brother, you need to leave that job. Brother, that's a people do that to one another and they, they really stumble them up and people are like, wow, that my job, maybe it's not going to look Then they'd be at unemployment and they may be broke. I mean, you should have kept that job, <laughs> went on to work, took you behind the work Sunday and found you another day to go to church. But anyway, we don't want to be bound up like that. That's legalism. Right. That's that's so not what Jesus wanted. And even as you read through the Gospels, when you find the legalistic people, they were always in God's way. They were always getting in. Jesus would do something amazing. It was a guy with a withered hand. His hand was deformed. And Jesus said, hey, stretch forth your hand. And the guy stretched and was healed. It was fixed. Perfect. And you know what the religious people said? The legalistic people said it's a Sabbath day. You you can't. You worked on the Sabbath. They couldn't even appreciate the miracle because he did it on the Sabbath. You know, I I was Jesus. There was a time time place to slap some people that just seemed like one of them places that they can't even appreciate a a miraculous move of God because the day he did it on. And so we don't want to be those people. Right. We don't want to be like that where we miss out. I got a friend of mine, pastor, the church. There is a place that was an adult bookstore. So this is a place where people had for years gone in there to ruin their lives and ruin their families, and you know watch pornography and whatever else they sold in there. That place got shut down, and they said, you know what? We're going to take this place and do. There's an outreach they do every year called a Glimpse of Hell, and they were, they rented them out the facility. They turned it into a glimpse. Like people are getting a glimpse of with all the things the Bible says about hell, they get a glimpse of it. And at the very end, the gospel is presented to people. So and every year they do this and hundreds of people get saved through it because kids come out because they're like, it's it's Halloween night. I want to go to a scare. I want to go get scared. And I'm like, come get the hell scared out of you. And they, they invite them. That's the invite. Come to the glimpse of hell. And they go and, and you're watching the videos afterwards of kids like standing outside crying like they're broken and they're saved. And I'm thinking like, I'm, I'm so pumped that he took this place that was used for sin. Now the church is in there building and putting it together. And You know what the religious people did? All over Facebook. I don't think the church should have nothing to do with it. They're just putting them down. I'm like, let them doing a the work for God. And I'm looking at the videos after 800 kids have been through by 10 o'clock, and this many people have been saved. And there was a line of 150 around the corner, still getting ready to go through to where after Friday they did it, they did it again Saturday. All my all my people are hoarse. I need new people to come serve inside to do the thing, but people are getting saved all night. Religious people came in, supposed Christians came and appreciate that because it's Halloween, it's the devil's day. Ain't no day the devil's day. Read your Bible. The devil don't have a day, right? Unless you give him the day. So I'm gonna leave that alone. But I, you know, he don't have a day. He don't have nothing that you don't forfeit and give him. So the Lord's day is every day. Amen. Let's keep moving. All right. <laughs> All right. So it says again, and we read through this, but he who, verse 6, he who observes the day, he observes it to the Lord. He who does not, God said, it doesn't matter to me, right? If you worship me, whatever day you choose, if you observe it, do it as unto me. If you don't observe it, don't observe it as unto me. God's not really concerned about what day you do it on, so neither should we be. So we should be relaxed about that. If I'm with a believer that's, I could, I could fellowship with somebody that worship on Saturday. Do we believe Jesus is God? He died on the cross, he rose again. We can have, we family, we can have fellowship. I'm not worried about the fact that you do it on Saturday. There should be liberty in that, that we're not really tripping off of those things. We should be able to celebrate the bigger picture. But we don't want to become that other group where it's like, well, we do it on Sunday, the Lord's Day. See that in the New Testament? Most of the time when they get was the Lord's Day, you miss it by a day. I don't I'm not going to be that guy. I recognize that that's when they were doing it. But I'm not going to be the guy saying that because of that now, because he didn't command us to do it on the Lord's Day. New Testament got liberty. I could do it on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, seven days a week. We can do this. And some churches do. Most churches I know they're they got something going on almost every day of the week. Every day the Lord's doing something in there. That's a healthy church, I think. I think what a waste. When I see churches that just open on Sunday, I think what a waste of the facility. I mean, just do something Monday. Do minister to, I mean, gangsters on Monday and you know, something just find something to do every night of the week, man. Let that place be used. But there is no one day set apart for the Lord or for his work. Every day is the Lord's day for us New Testament believers
0: do you ever start thinking about god's immense love for you and get lost in the amazement he loved us enough to send his son to die in our place but paul in his letter to the romans takes it even a step further when he says but god shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners christ died for us God didn't look at humanity and think we were doing such a great job on our own. He looked at us and saw that we were broken sinners, lost in rebellion, and he loved us anyway. If you haven't yet made the decision to follow him, know that he is looking at you and loving you. He loves you just the way you are today. If you like to learn what it means to follow him, you can call or text us at 310-245-4811 we love to walk you through the story of what God has done to offer you salvation. Once again, that phone number is 310-245-4811. You've been listening to Pastor Bill Buffington on A Transforming Word. Pastor Bill is working his way through the book of Romans in this series, a book filled with wisdom and instructions for life. If you missed a message and want to go back, you can find all our messages on our website, calvaryenglerwood.org. That's CalvaryEnglewood.org. Look under the Media tab for links to YouTube and our mobile app. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. We look forward to connecting with you again. Meet us right here next time for another great message on a transforming word.